Welcome to Dunzo. This is a podcast that explores hookups and breakups of famous lovers and friends, both real and fake, and all the discarded pop culture of yesteryear. I'm your host, Troy McKeady. You guys, welcome to episode 168 of Dunzo. Tis me, Troy Mahahi, and we are, I mean, this is a very special episode, obviously, for obvious reason. We are closing out of our stripped chapter today, and holy shit, like, I don't even know. The amount that I've learned about Christina Aguilera in these uh, four short weeks has been fucking insane. I actually just got done recording the first Christina episode for the Patreon with Dara from like, do you remember this? Um, we beat by beat went down Christina's first album. It was really, really fun. Uh, Dara was a Christina girl growing up. So she gave some really good insight and perspective and she's iconic and it was just super funny. So that's going to be happening very soon, obviously sometime this week. And uh, yeah, like I said, this is obviously a continuation of last week, but we're ending this chapter And I mean, obviously this album made such a massive impact on the world that I had to split it up because there's just too much to cover. We obviously have to talk about the rest of the singles and the actual release of the album because so far we haven't really talked about its official debut. We talked about it up to the release of Dirty. And I also want to pick up where we left off in that iconic Rolling Stone interview and go a little bit deeper into her relationship with Linda Perry. I should say right off the top of the episode that if you do want to follow the album reviews along with these episodes, patreon.com slash solid listen. Eventually, I am going to finish the Whitney and Bobby stuff. I am going to get back into it. I guess I just like after talking about Whitney for like three straight months, my brain literally just shut down. Like it was just like, we're done. Like you're done. I don't even know. Like, I don't even remember the moment that I thought I had finished being Bobby Brown. I don't even remember, but it was just like, my brain shut it down. It was like, nah, bitch, we're erasing the memories. We are (laughs) your idol at this moment. You are no longer in control of your own body. We are in control you're done for right now. It's a lot. This is a lot for you. So we'll pick back up into it because there's only so many Christina albums to talk about. And I mean, kind of towards the end, like, I don't know how (laughs) I'm just saying, listen, I don't know how deep we're going to get into like Lotus and stuff. You know what I mean? Um, But neither here nor there. We don't have to worry about that for a while. (laughs) And speaking of Rolling Stone, I'm actually going to be starting with the Rolling Stone article at the very top of the episode. You guys have enjoyed it so much. I've gotten so many like really funny DMs about uh, specifically about the Rolling Stone stuff. And listen, I love it as much as you like I am blown away by these interviews and I just love so much that Rolling Stone has been there since, you know, even before the beginning, you know, before she was like a known whatever and she was like having her first limo ride up until she's had this whole crazy moment and now she's ex-Tina and she talks different and she's a diva there's some real real nasty diva behavior coming up that is like just peak Christina you know what I mean because for me it's like 
as much as stripped represents Christina like becoming the artist she was always meant to be it also represents her like leaning into being just a fully fledged diva like just like that mean cunty Christina that we've all grown to know and that some of us have grown to love uh was really like birthed and stripped so a lot to talk about it says three more insights into the passions of Christina Aguilera first there is a track on stripped one of the last she wrote called get mine get yours she's not sure whether or not she should have included it because it's the only song she feels is without depth of meaning it's about casual sex, just what the title is. I'm in it to get mine, and you're in it to get yours. We can do this and just have fun. I want your body, not your heart kind of thing. Second, there are alternate joke lyrics to many of the songs on Stripped. Aguilera has actually recorded them for her own amusement. She sings me the rough opening verse to a song called Cruise, by the way, my favorite song from this album, <laughs> slowly drifting into a mellow high, smokes some marijuana, he kisses up my thigh. She giggles and says, but I'm not a smoker. I'm way more of a drinker than I am a smoker. I'm talking about, you know, she puts on a silly boy, a silly voice, cannabis, being high. It's not the best feeling for me. Then she adds, but all my boyfriends happen to be. So I can take it around me. I just don't participate for the most part. Third, one day I find her reading about Jennifer Love Hewitt's slumber party in Rolling Stone. I would scare the shit out of her if she came to one of my sleepovers, says Aguilera. Fuck the dessert. Where's the tequila? She laughs. She wants a bunch of white boys that I don't want. I want the boys with the flavor. You never date white boys, Christina? <laughs> He's got to have some flavor and some edge to him, she adds. I don't discriminate because of color. I actually dated my fair share recently. I put some cream in my coffee. Like, what does that even mean for you? So then cut to Christina, the interviewer, and her assistant arriving at her favorite restaurant, Hudson's. And I'm actually including this because I think it's interesting to see you know, Christina during this specific time through the eyes of the interviewer and specifically through Rolling Stone, because they've low-key been narrating her career and observing these changes in her personality based on how much more famous she's becoming. And when you read these back, especially like back to back, it feels like a real solid continuation of a story. It says, once installed in her corner, Aguilera asked the waitress if the air conditioning can be turned down. The waitress looks a little dubious. It's a huge restaurant and suggests that this is probably not possible. They've done it before, retorts Aguilera firmly. She orders a soft drink and a Corona. The soft drink arrives immediately when the, when the waitress returns uh, for their food order. Aguilera says coldly, I'm still waiting for my Corona. When the waitress next returns, she says, it's such a coincidence because Brandy is a couple tables down. Mm-hmm, says Christina. Have you guys ever dined together? The waitress asks. Aguilera looks at her, pointedly withdrawn from the conversation, then mutters under her breath once the waitress has left, um, because we're both celebrities? <laughs> once the artichoke dip arrived, Aguilera perks up. I've got really bad cuts and bruises all over my legs, she announces, and pulls up her pants high above her left knee to show me quite a gigantic, irregularly shaped bruise that she says she got on the video shoot for Dirty. She says she had to box eight rounds. After she's eaten on the way to the studio, she listens to Peaches fuck the pain away. Crazy ass, she shouts as she walks into the control room. Did you miss me? I sure did, says Linda Perry. She asks Perry why she didn't make it down to her video shoot, and Perry says that she was busy. Yeah, whatever. You don't love me anymore, says Aguilera. Then she asks for a massage. Linda, please, 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 she begs. 
No, I'm not doing that, says Perry. But you're so good at it, pleads Aguilera. She shows Perry her bruise. Oh my God, says Perry. What happened? What could you have been doing? You should have seen the shower scene, says Allison, her assistant. What were you doing, Perry asks. Humping a girl, Aguilera replies. Humping a girl, says Perry. Five girls, actually, corrects Aguilera. And I didn't get the invite, huh, says Perry. Suddenly, the pleasantries are over. They listen to a new mix of a song called I'm Okay. Aguilera says nothing. In fact, she barely moves. Christina Aguilera likes to explain that her new album is called Strip because, quote, it's me stripped of all the hype, the gloss, the controversy, the rumors, possibly because she's half naked on the cover and has a single called Dirty. That includes the couplet of, I need that aunt to get me off slash sweat until my clothes come off. Many people will take this with a pinch of salt, but if there is a song that justifies this explanation, it is I'm okay. So they go on to explain the meaning of I'm okay, and they talk about, you know, her father being abusive um, to she and her mother, and they include some of the lyrics. Um, Hurt me to see the pain across my mother's face every time my father's fist would put her in her place. Hearing all the yelling, I would cry up in my room, hoping it would be over soon. Bruises fade, father, but the pain remains the same, and I still remember how you kept me so afraid. That's why I think music was so important for me, she says. I would go upstairs and I would line up all my stuffed animals and pretend that they were my audience and sing to them. I'd close my door and escape it. She used to tell this story in her teen pop interviews, uh, but what she wouldn't mention in those days is why she was upstairs or what she was trying to drown out. Everything's really real, she says of the song. The marks along her neck. My mom had actual glove marks all over her neck from a fight. She was being strangled with an army jacket, says Christina. That was the night my mother told her that they were leaving, though she went back a few more times. Christina also talks about how she hopes her dad hears the song because it's obviously directed at him and she hopes that it, you know, begins some sort of healing process for her family. Stripped was officially released in October of 2002. And even though the album performed well commercially, as we've spoken about, critics initially didn't get what it was supposed to be about. And the reviews for this album, like when it actually was released, are shockingly mixed. And instead of focusing on the lyrical content and being able to place it with the visuals, you know, which we now understand all went together perfectly, they saw it as these two completely separate things, sort of fighting each other, which is ironic and just shows how narrow-minded everybody was 20 years ago. The way Christina Aguilera looked in 2002 was so distracting to music critics that they couldn't see beyond it to give this album a genuine review. And it really wasn't until years later that people placed Stripped on the pedestal that we know it to be on today. And obviously in 2002, like pre-social media, the critics made up such a large portion of what we thought about music. We didn't have Twitter or even YouTube to get a feel for what like actual people thought of these songs unless they were being interviewed on TRL you know what I mean so you really were sort of at the mercy of these publications for what you were supposed to think of these albums it debuted at number two on billboard ironically behind Eminem's eight mile soundtrack which was obviously a force to be reckoned with in 2002 and it was certified platinum and made Christina the most successful female artist of that year and the legacy of Stripped is interesting because it's not the first album that you really hear get mentioned when the girls talk about, you know, albums that have inspired them, but you see the influence all over the place. Like if you look at Miley's bangers era, 
that was essentially a 2013 version of Stripped. I mean, let's be honest. That was Miley's version of Stripped. And, you know, you also can look at Selena Gomez. I've heard her talk about how um, Revival was directly inspired by Stripped. And the same thing goes for Demi Lovato. Like, her transition out of Disney had Christina's name written all over it. It was way more Christina than anybody else. Stripped has become known as, quote, the blueprint for honest and raw female pop. I think I've read that in like 20 publications, but that's this album's legacy. I kept hearing that when I would read reviews and when I would read like, you know, revisits of the album 10 years later. It definitely brought feminism to the forefront of pop music during a time when we probably needed it more than ever. I mean, maybe not more than ever, but we needed it real bad. And it's important to note that, it, I mean, this is a sophomore album. And everybody knows that the sophomore slump is no joke. Like, that's a real thing. And the sophomore album is make or break. Like, that determines whether or not you can have a, a whole, you know, lineage of music that you put out. And this is her second album, which is insane to me. Now, as previously mentioned, um, you know, we are going to be doing these album reviews on Patreon, so I'm not going to be going really intensely into each song. If you want to hear that, then you will need to subscribe to Patreon or listen on Patreon. Um, we're going to get super, super, super deep into lyrics and just all of the things, but we are going to talk about the singles. We do absolutely have to fucking talk about the song Beautiful. I think it's safe to say that Beautiful has gone on to become the most recognizable Christina Aguilera song in her entire catalog. This is hands down Christina's legacy song. This is the song that will be used to describe her for the rest of her life. She will always be known as the beautiful singer. And occasionally you'll hear, you know, an interviewer or a publication refer to her as the dirty singer every once in a while because it's got a ring to it. But like at the end of the day, beautiful is Christina's Vogue. Now, I know that we talked last week about of course, the Linda Perry involvement and, you know, Pink and all of that stuff. And uh, Rolling Stone, of course, actually ended up doing this really cool expose on Linda Perry, where they went down like a top 20 list of all of her most iconic songs that she's either performed or written and like what the whole experience was for each song. And it was really, really cool. And uh, the beautiful part of it was actually kind of amazing. It says, I started writing the song when I was working with Alicia, but it wasn't done. And for some reason, I kept putting it off. There was something about the lyrics that was troubling for me because it was so not what I felt. When the words, I am beautiful came out, it was so shocking to me to say something like that because I don't feel that way. I was in denial about this positive message that I could possibly be saying. That's why I changed the second one to you are beautiful and the third to we are beautiful because... I couldn't bear to keep saying I am beautiful over and over. Alicia never recorded it. She may have heard it when I was writing it. I can slightly remember her asking me for it and I said, no, it's not the right song for you. I'm not sure. I knew it wasn't finished. And after it was finished, Christina showed up and I said, no management, no entourage is allowed in my studio. She was very vulnerable and she said, can you play me something to break the ice? I decided to play beautiful for her because that was the song I had been working on. I could hear her getting closer and closer to the piano while I was playing it. When I was done, she said, can you write the words to that and give me the demo? Because I want it for my album. 
I decided to let her sing it. So she's standing there in my studio with the lyrics in her hands. And then she said to this friend that she brought along, don't look at me in this little whispery voice. I knew that I was going to keep that on the record. And I knew that she was the right person for the song. I realized, oh, she's insecure. She's one of those beautiful people that's always gotten everything, but she's super insecure. And I said, okay, so this song is for her. She wanted to re-record it. And I said, no, you're going to go in there and over sing it. I wanted to keep it really simple and basic. She was like, oh, I can sing it so much better. Please, can I just have one more shot at it? I literally let it play for maybe 30 seconds and she came in and she just goes for it. I just turned it off and she was like, what? And I said, it's not happening. You're already ruining the song. This original vocal was perfect because it's flawed. You have to understand that flaws are great. This is a beautiful song because no one has ever heard you like this before. It proved to be the exact thing that she needed and she grew fans from that song. I also wrote down this really interesting quote from this 2017 Bustle article written by Olivia Trufant Wong, and she talked about the differences between this song and the self-love songs that came before it and why specifically Beautiful was this major turning point. It says, written by Linda Perry, Beautiful was a huge departure from the sexy pop trend in 2002 and from Aguilera herself. Before releasing Beautiful, the singer dropped Dirty as the first single from Stripped. In the music video, the singer said goodbye to the perfect blonde image of what a girl wants and traded it in for a heavy makeup, black streaked hair, thongs, and assless chaps. She even gave herself an edgy new nickname, Extina. Dirty was the empowerment anthem in its own way, more of a celebration of sexual confidence than anything else. But the song got lost in all the talk of the singer's makeover. Personally, I liked the song and respected Extina's courage in revamping her look. But at barely 12 years old, I didn't exactly relate to the sexy theme. Then she released Beautiful. With one song, Aguilera was able to take the focus off of her new sexy appearance and put it where it belonged, onto her universal message and one hell of a voice. But that's not why Beautiful is a classic, though Aguilera's stunning vocals don't hurt. The song is a classic because it has a universal message that everybody can relate to no matter what. As much as I credit Beautiful with being a turning point in how self-love and pop music intersected, it didn't invent the genre. There were plenty of confidence-building hits that came before 2002, songs like TLC's Unpretty or Aretha Franklin's Respect, but Beautiful set itself apart from songs in the past in two very important ways. The first, and the most important, is how it used universal insecurities to connect Aguilera to her fans. In the song, the singer goes from singing, I am beautiful, no matter what they say, to you are beautiful, to we are beautiful. From chorus to chorus, what begins as a personal, vulnerable song becomes, becomes an anthem of self-love. Moreover, it doesn't minimize the pain and insecurity. What is sometimes dismissed as a frivolous concern by outsiders, the desire to be pretty and enough for others, is actually given the serious weight it deserves. It might be silly to live your life always worrying what others think of you, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt when you think you're failing at it. Beautiful also stood out because it was one of the first mainstream songs to explicitly tell listeners that it was okay to love their bodies, no matter what they looked like. Instead of celebrating a specific body or body part, like Destiny's Child's 2001 hit Bootylicious, Beautiful celebrates whatever shape you have. It's not a celebration of curves or a makeup-free face. Beautiful is about people loving themselves no matter what. Listening to that song, I felt that Aguilera was telling me that I was beautiful, even as I felt ugly and out of place. It's also important to mention that this song, I mean this album, but specifically this song solidified Christina as 
an icon in the LGBTQ plus community, especially after the release of the music video, which featured a gay couple and a trans woman. And if you put yourself in the shoes of your former 2002 self and imagine this video being on TR, like the fucking TRL countdown after or before like B2K and Good Charlotte, it really is profound, especially in the space that it occupied. She was also presented a GLAAD Media Award by David LaChapelle when it came out and Billboard put it on their list of greatest music videos of the 21st century. Like it really is, you know, it's like when you live with something for so long, you kind of forget like the the impact or like the magnitude that it had. But I mean, Stripped itself is insane, but like the song Beautiful, groundbreaking. I mean, honestly, it's like, it is just, it's so crazy to relive this and have to experience it as if I haven't known it for 18 years, and it is groundbreaking. This actually leads me uh, perfectly into my next point, which is that if you think about it, and this is not a read, this is just an observation, before Stripped, Christina had never really had any sort of like visually groundbreaking moments. Her music videos were not very memorable. When you look back at the genie in a bottle video, the what a girl wants video, come on over. Aside from the nostalgia, they were all pretty forgettable. I mean, I would say out of those three, come on over is probably the most sort of like visually memorable. Like at the end of the day, genie in a bottle is a video of her like dancing around in Lee Dungarees and laying on the beach what a girl wants is a themeless video where she's in a big white room with a bunch of models like thrusting her hips at guys and saying come here with her fingers also her rolling stone cover wasn't like a big giant pop culture moment like think piece and up to that point she hadn't really had any live performances that were talked about in a real major way aside from the woman fred durst and that was not positive. I guess you could see the closest she had come at that point would have been like a Lady Marmalade moment, but that wasn't her song. So Stripped Era was the first time we really saw Christina move the needle and really solidify herself as someone making legit groundbreaking pop culture moments that would be talked about, you know, on like Larry King and you know, all over the magazines and like just a really big deal the following day and for maybe the remainder of the year. The other singles from this album include Fighter, Can't Hold Us Down, and a personal favorite, legitimately probably my favorite Christina Aguilera ballad, one of my favorite Christina music videos, which is ironic because it's the most simple, The Voice Within. Oh, don't even get me started on The Voice Within. God damn it. You want to see me tear up during a song? Fuck. I love, I love the voice within. Now, we have to talk about something that I can't believe we haven't even mentioned yet. Maybe it's because I've been blocking it out or I was just like dreading the moment where we had to get to it. But, you know, there's a first time for everything. Um, In June of 2003, Christina Aguilera embarked on a tour with none other than noodlehead fuck dick Justin Timberlake. 
Now, what I'm not going to do, listen, let's just like get some 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 housekeeping done. Let's like read through the fine print real quick. I'm not going to sink to their level. <laughs> so I'm going to report this information with class and grace. And I'm not going to do what you expect me to do, which is just like fucking read both of them for filth this entire time. I might. I might. Let's be honest. But do you guys remember when Justin Timberlake went on tour with Christina? How fucking random and weird that was. And such a weird, like, let's create a moment. You know what I mean? Like, very on brand for Christina, where it's like, let's create a pop culture moment that they'll they'll never forget. And I don't know if maybe this was, like, a, a much bigger deal and I blocked it out. So, to me, it was like, it just doesn't feel like... I mean, Justin Timberlake and Christina Aguilera went on tour together. And they didn't open for each other. This was a double headlining tour where it was two tours split in half, a full justified experience, and a full stripped experience. Christina and Justin did a Rolling Stone interview together in 2003 that I'm going to read some quotes from. It says, Christina Aguilera's website helpfully includes a section called Rumor Mill, over which her mom, Shelly, presides. It's a smart idea. Controversy seems to cling to Christina like a Versace dress, so why wouldn't Shelly tackle the gossip head on? She answers it all. Is Christina dating Dave Grohl? No. Has she had a nose job? No. Does she not like to make eye contact? Sometimes. Are she and Justin Timberlake together? Only on stage. For this summer's Justified and Strip Tour, there was only a working relationship. The hostile tone of some of the gossip is distressing. In a world of bland pop creations, we need Christina Aguilera. She boldly speaks her mind, she livens up a red carpet, and she wears assless chaps. What's not to like? The newly brunette Aguilera will commence her tour with Timberlake this month. The idea was concocted by their managers. No fools, they both are young, 22, hot, and talked about and have released the best albums of their careers. Aguilera will be singing plenty of tunes from Stripped, which continues to crank out singles, the next one being Can't Hold Us Down. She sits down and chit-chats about Timberlake, the tour, and her first makeout session. So, why did you decide to go on tour with Justin Timberlake? We both put out records around the same time, and that kind of introduced ourselves to the world as these new artists. So it was just a good time, and I've known Justin since the Mickey Mouse Club days, since we were like 12 or 13. So we go back on our friendship and it kind of works. What's the biggest misconception about Justin? I've never heard him really getting bashed. I think females get it much worse. I just know him for being down to earth and goofy and silly, but he's got a little guy thing going on too. He knows whenever he walks into a room and certain girls are like, ah, Justin, he knows what he's doing. He doesn't get arrogant. He just knows how to put it on and play up to it. I've been out to clubs with Justin and I've seen some of the girls that have hung around him. Numerous dancers that are all about getting getting with him because it's because he's him. And some of these girls are really good at making it out like they have the best intentions in the world. There's a term I use, but I don't know if I should be that blunt. Yes, you should, Christina. Me and my camp call it suck dick for dollars. It's a term for some of these girls that want a break that want to get a break so bad and they're just all over him. It's just so sickening to me. Who do you think is Justin's ideal mate? It's Britney. He and Britney made a great couple. I've known the both of them since that time, and they kind of had their little crushes even back then. Britney has known him for such a long time, too, before he, and, before he was Justin Timberlake, the star, when he was just Justin, the kid on the Mickey Mouse Club. 
I don't know. I have a feeling that there's going to be some reconciliation. I know that they talk and everything, and it's cool. I don't think it's really over. Now, you know that Christina is just saying this to be a cunt. I mean, like, Christina knows that by the time that they broke up, that it was the furthest thing from, like, you know, the tabloid puppy love that everybody thought it was, and that they were both hooking up with other people, and that they were sort of forced to continue this situation, really, for the sake of their careers. If anybody knows that, it's Christina. So she's just being messy, which is, you know, it's just, this is, this is a lot for me. This is triggering for me. And this was obviously like a sort of watered down version of their real tours. It was something to get people excited and and talking. And it was to create buzz surrounding the release of these albums and, you know, the singles that were going to be coming out. Um, Christina kicked off her actual stripped tour in September of 2003 with the Black Eyed Peas as her opening act. Now, for this next section, we do have to talk about it, but we're not going to spend too much time covering it because we've done it so much in the past. And if you want to hear me really, really, really break down the Britney, Christina, Madonna kiss at the VMAs, I would suggest that you go back and listen to the Britney series that I did, the Britney and Justin series. But I do want to touch on it because I've never really approached it from the perspective of Christina. And, you know, we know by now that during rehearsals for the performance, Britney was, as Christina put it, distant. And I can't imagine it has anything to do with the fact that Christina had just gotten off of a tour with her ex-boyfriend and went on a press cycle talking about their relationship and, like, claiming that she had, you know, sat down with Britney and given her advice and talked her through the pain because... She's been through a breakup too. Like as if Christina Aguilera sat down and and held Britney's knee and coached her through her emotional uh, turmoil. She very famously told Blender Magazine, she seemed very distant even during rehearsals. Every time I tried to start a conversation with her, well, let's just say she seemed nervous the whole time. She seems like a lost little girl, someone who desperately needs guidance to which Britney responded, I can't believe Christina Aguilera said that about me. Then she, relates to a, then she relates a story about seeing Christina, her former friend and fellow Musketeer, for the first time in two years. She comes up to me in a nightclub in front of all these people and tried to put her tongue down my throat. I say, it's good to see you. And Christina goes, well, you're not being real with me right now. And I was like, well, Christina, what's your definition of real? Going up to girls and kissing them after you haven't seen them in two years? A lost girl, Spears says. I think it's probably the other way around. When someone has been so rude to you so many times, it's like, what do you want me to do, Christina? Because I'm not about the fake anymore. She also went on to say that aside from she and Mary J. Blige, that no other female artists had their microphones turned on during the performances that night. And the only reason that she agreed to do the performance is because Madonna promised that they would have to sing live um, because she didn't want to perform and with any fakeness. So she suggested that Britney and her team um, paid somebody off to allow her to lip sync. Um, she was also, of course, very angry that MTV didn't cover the kiss properly. Um, she said they cut away uh, and said for Justin's reaction shot, how predictable. Let's see the ex-boyfriend's response. It's pathetic. Um, she also claimed during rehearsals that Britney... Uh, was not open to kissing her and that it was suggested, but Britney wouldn't do it. 
And I just have to read the full lost little girl quote because it's too iconic not to. And I know that I've done it before, but like, come on, just come on, get, allow me to do this. Come on. She said, well, I feel like I've grown a lot this year and we did used to be friends once after all. She seems to me like a lost little girl, someone who desperately needs guidance, but who knows? Maybe I'm not the right person to offer it. We're very different people, aren't we? In our world, there are different types of entertainers. You have your artists and you have your regular performers. I am an artist and well, um, as another sentence about Spears goes unfinished, she permits, she permits herself a private smile. Later, she will complain about the press insistently keeping the apparent rivalry alive between the two as if she herself plays no part in it, but she often seems to fan the flames. And I know Christina recently spoke to Andy Cohen on his radio show about this performance and how angry she was that MTV chose to cut her out of it. And it wasn't even like MTV was the only outlet that excluded her. She was literally cropped out of the photos of the kiss. Like the publications cropped her out of the photos, which is insane. And for the remainder of, you know, of time, it's always been known as the Britney and Madonna kiss, even though Christina kissed her less than one second after. And I've also mentioned to you guys that, you know, one of my favorite YouTube subgenres is reaction videos. And I've watched so many videos where younger people discover that Christina also kissed Madonna because it's so rarely spoken about. And this is the part of Christina that I feel like it took me up until now to understand. Do you get what I'm saying? Like if I were her and I was a part of this amazing moment that would inevitably go down in history as one of the most iconic performances of all time. I mean, that's gotta be one of those things where while you're doing it, you know you're gonna make history. And then I realized the next day that the network obviously had to pre-plan cutting away from me because they had the cameras like in front of Justin's face, like ready to go. And this is the same network that, as we've spoken about, has sort of publicly chosen Britney over her since the beginning of their careers in just about every way possible. It's got to keep you up at night. And had this happened maybe two years prior, she probably would have just like given some passive aggressive comments about it and, you know, giggled her way through the interview and moved on from it. But now that Christina is liberated, she can finally give her opinions on moments like this in a way that wasn't really, you know, she couldn't do before. So it comes off as even more bitchy because she can finally, for the first time, be honest about how upset she is by things like this that happen to her all the time. Now, I'm sorry, but the fact that I was even able to express those thoughts shows some intense growth from me. I'm sorry. I'm a better man now than I was a year ago because there is no fucking way in hell I would have given Christina the the benefit of the doubt (laughs) for saying the shit that she said about my Britney Jean. And I still think that she's a fucking asshole, of course, but it's like, I get it. I've also, by the way, had years to think about Britney's she tried to stick her tongue down my throat comment. And I feel a little bit differently about it now than I did then. And I'd really like to express my thoughts to you. First of all, 
Based on what we know about Britney, especially during this time, we have established that by 2002, she liked to party her face off, that she was a semi-functioning alcoholic, and that she definitely had been experimenting a lot sexually. You know what I mean? This was a real, as I always say, Drew 90s Drew Barrymore moment for her. And Christina has also done many of the same things. You know, she's right at that peak of her being liberated and she's 21 years old. She's in a partying phase where she no longer has to pretend. And, you know, she's definitely experimented a lot with women and experimented sexually. For fuck's sake, she has her clip pierced um, and brags about it in interviews. And Christina's statement of, you're not being real with me, after she walks up to Britney and tries to stick her tongue down her throat, just hits different now to me. And I know that I could be, you know, I can be alluding to things or whatever, but it's like, it just, do you get what I'm saying? Are you picking up what I'm putting down right now? Christina felt comfortable enough to walk up to Britney in a nightclub in front of a ton of people and kiss her. And it wasn't reciprocated because people were looking. And her response to it not being reciprocated was, you're not being real with me. I just think that statement is loaded and easily one of the most candid things that Britney has ever said during an interview. It just is loaded. And when you know these girls, when you know that Christina Aguilera walked up to her with her clip pierced, <laughs> like when you know that Britney has been experimenting with fucking sting tantric sex in Europe since she was underage, it just hits different. You know what I mean? And I could be crazy, but I really don't feel like I'm crazy. You're not being real with me alludes to the fact that maybe they've kissed before and Britney was chill with it, but now that they're in front of people, Britney wants to act like she isn't into it and it hurt her feelings and probably embarrassed her. I want to end this episode with some more Christina, Linda Perry banter because I enjoy it so much. And when else are we going to have the opportunity? This, of course, comes from the 2002 issue of Rolling Stones Weeklies. When Aguilera was growing up, her grandmother told her mother that they would be kicked out of the house if Christina showed up with her ears pierced. Everyone else at school had their ears pierced and it didn't seem fair. Eventually, she had her ears pierced anyway, but it might be true that her grandmother's early refusals planted the idea somewhere in Christina's head that piercing could be your own personal rebellion and private celebration. When Aguilera was on tour after her first album, she fell into a routine. If I was having a bad day, she says, or if something was really getting me down, boy troubles, whatever, I wanted to go get a new piercing. It was definitely a release for me. Something that made me feel a little bit more strong and empowered because it was something that had to do with me and nobody else. The first of these piercings was a nipple. Most days you can't help but notice the outline of a nipple ring on her right breast. She also has a piercing in her bottom lip and one in her left nostril, as well as a piercing between her legs. It just seems so erotic in a place that most people wouldn't have the guts to do it, she says. You hear things like, oh, it will help you reach sexual heights, whatever, but I just think it's pretty. I think it accents things quite well. The ornament in question is festooned with diamonds. I don't even know how many there are, she says, because it was going in a special place. It's really beautiful and expensive. I like it a lot. I've gotten a lot of compliments on it. I raise my eyebrows just a little. From my gynecologist, she screeches. Oh no, don't take it that way. I mean my gynecologist and my waxer. She also says this. I really like my jewelry, my extra puncture wounds. 
Whenever Aguilera wears her hair up, you can see the name Extina tattooed across the back of her neck. It's a nickname of sorts. People talk about how it's almost like a spilt personality, she says. I've heard some people go, hmm, your sweet, childlike, kind of more innocent side is Christina, and your more dark, mysterious, kind of edgier side is Extina. When you spend time with Aguilera, both of them are very much in evidence. The diaper jokes in the studio, the pages she and her younger sister exchange, what are you doing, queen of fats, writes her sister, interview for Rolling Stone, what about you, hogface? These are clearly Christina. And there's a lot of Christina left in her, but for the moment, I think it's Extina we will be seeing the most of. Extina has come out, says Aguilera. She's showing her colors now. I guess there wasn't any more Linda Perry left. I don't know why I thought that, but I just thought that was fun. You know what I mean? A little Extina for you. Um, yeah, this episode's a little bit shorter than it normally would be, but I just wanted to close out of the stripped era in a respectful way. We had to, of course, talk about beautiful... And as I've said now a million times, um, all of the singles and the songs and the lyrics and the videos and the imagery I'm going to be getting into on Patreon. So I'm very, very excited about that. Um, I can't believe that we finished stripped. Like it feels weird that I'm like done with this now, but next week we're going to start talking about back to basics and I'm actually really excited about this. It feels like a lot of you are like really, really big Back to Basics fans. Like a lot of people really, really love this album. People love like the music videos and the imagery and people love Ain't No Other Man or whatever. So I'm really excited to get into it. I don't really know a lot about Christina during that time. So it's all going to be new for me. And, uh, yeah, this is, I mean, this is, this was super fun. This was a real milestone moment for me. Like a real, like, when I look back at my favorite moments of doing this podcast, like this will definitely be one of them. And I don't know if I have anything else to say. I love you guys and I will see you next week. Uh, yeah, bye. Thank you for listening to Dunzo. This podcast is a part of the Solid Listen Network. Please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. Also, be sure to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash solidlisten for exclusive content. You can follow me on Twitter at Troy McGee, and you can follow the podcast on all forms of social media at DunzoPod. That's D-U-N-Z-O. Thank you to executive producer Molly McAleer and coordinating producer Nicole Matthew. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.